Welcome to the Aggressively Average Podcast. Aggressively forced to stay. I get all my facts from my gut. I'm not allowed to go out and do what I want to do. I'm going postal. 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 This is a list of the people who ought to die. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Fireside Chats with Blake. Today, I am joined by a very funny comic from the Akron area, correct? Warren area. Warren. Oh, okay. We got a lot to talk about then. Uh, yeah, I, uh, we're going to get into it, but he has a very unique sense of humor that uh, either the crowd ooze or they laughs. <laughs> but uh, my guest today is Vaughn Wesley. Say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. All right. So we're just going to hop into this and uh, let's get the fire started. So, Juan, you are from Warren. That is news to me. Was not where this is where we're going to start, but this is where we're at. Yes, um, I am from a cat. Well, I'm from a, um, I should say, county that barely has any comedy in it. <laughs> like, um, the only place that really, um, like, the only club we have is the Warren Comedy Club, and you basically have to be a professional in order to perform there. Okay, so I, I know. I know Aaron Scardina, he's uh, performed there before. Oh, I like Aaron. He's uh, he's come to Post 32 a couple of times, and the old women love him. Oh, I bet. <laughs> he, so, um, he has that charm to him. Yeah. So how'd you get into comedy if there was no place to do it in Warren? Um, well, the first time I performed was um, I did a tryout for uh, my um, high school talent show as my senior year, and I, you know, always wanted to do uh, stamp comedy. And uh, prior to that, like from like the summer of 2014 all the way till I performed, uh, I finally performed. Um, I was like just writing material and so forth, and. Um, I, you know, did the tryouts, which was on my 19th birthday, so extra ballsy there, and um, it went well, and uh, that tryout performance of mine got me into the actual, um, uh, brain fart, uh, actual talent show. So was the show, like, school associated, or what was, oh, yeah. all right. It was a uh, school associated um, for my um, high school and so forth. Okay. So uh, how'd you do there? Like, was there a winner or was there just like, once you made it to the show, you made it to the show? Basically just make it to the show to make it to the show. <laughs> How'd it feel? It was um, like uh, the first time I didn't really um, feel too much after I got done with it, but the second time I did it, I was like, wow, I just did that. <laughs> yeah, the first time I ever did stand-up was actually eighth grade. Oh. We had a school talent show, and I uh, I was like, I want to do stand-up. So I went in for the audition, told them I was going to do two to four minutes, uh, hmm. thought of the jokes in line for the talent show, like... Uh, if you know anything about me, that's kind of even still what I do now. I don't really write yeah. jokes. 
but uh so in line i was like all right i'll tell them i got two to four minutes i'll give them two jokes they approved me so i was like awesome because it was just like two teachers in a room and you went in there so it wasn't anything spectacular i went to a small school (laughs) but uh so then when i finally did it on stage i did not prepare at all in between those two things and i was just like ah i'll just go talk about my brother and my mom and went up there and i was up there for 15 minutes oh (laughs) all ad lib just kept talking kept getting laughs uh even when i was done i got encores like people were screaming encore now mind you was it a good set no i was 13. there's no way it was funny (laughs) but for those middle schoolers it hit hard that day yeah but i didn't do it again until i was 29 and i wish i wish i had been doing it since i was 19. god because yeah. <laughs> it's i don't know if it's like this for you but i this when i'm doing it, it's like i this is the only thing i can imagine doing forever yeah pretty much yeah when i um like after i got done with both of those performances um it was like a while until I performed again because, you know, I was trying to like go on Google and just like type in open mics just to, Dude, it's so hard to find them that way. Oh yeah. It's really hard to find. And I didn't really, I feel so dumb now, but I should have just like went on Facebook to try to find stuff like that. I did find a couple online that like were off the beaten path that weren't really necessarily comedy mics, but sometimes yeah. those are the best to do because yeah. Yeah, the first first, uh, gig that I did that was, like, outside of high school was at the Venice Cafe in Kent, and uh, that place isn't really the best to do comedy because it's, like, a variety open mic, and most people that come there, they expect music, Mm. and, you know, then I just go up there just doing, like, a spoken word thing, uh, and they would be caught off guard with that. And also, the mic was very shitty there. You basically had to blow the mic there, like put it right <laughs> up to your mouth. Is that why you hold it with you now? It just, it just how I um, hold it now. Just like when I go up on stage, I don't really move around. It mm. just, I stay in one position the whole time. Yeah, I can't do that. I got so much nervous energy. I got to move around. But uh, the first time you went, like, did that variety open mic, did you go after a band? Um, I forget who I went on, uh, before, but, um, it wasn't really great. It was the first time I bombed. It was, uh, it's like my third time doing stand-up, um, did not do well. Uh, I went there again, um, uh, like a few months later and did a little bit, a little bit more better than I did, uh, before. And then I um, went there again a few months after that and didn't do well. And uh, after that, I was like, I need to find some other place to Was that the only there. place you were doing there? Like, that was it? Yeah. Yeah, that was the only place I was doing, like, for only three times in a row, basically. Okay. And um, then, um, you know, I, since I like acting and all that, I um, started helping out um in the backstage department uh, for Kent Trumbull uh, for their theater program and uh, helping out with, um, you know, the actors and all that and moving stuff around. And I met somebody there that 
does stand up every once in a while and she got me hooked up with this one Facebook group uh, called the uh, comedians of local interest. And that was basically my pathway. Wait, what was that? Is that still going? Um, the guy that runs it hasn't done a show in a while. He mostly does like shows in like the Mahoning County area, like Youngstown and all that. I, I just, am, hold on. Am I coming really weird through your speaker? I'm hearing some feedback sometimes when I say something. Um, you're fine. I, okay. I just, uh, don't know. It just sometimes sounds like a lion's roar when I'm talking. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but no, I'm trying to find every comedy group I can, not only just for shows, but obviously to promote my open mic. Yeah, the best one to do for uh, Mahoning County area is the Youngstown Comedy Syndicates, in which, you know, Jason Alterno and Aaron, and when Tim was still here, he was a part of it. Okay, all right. Um, I'll talk to you about that later. I'm not going to remember that name. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so... Once you branched out on Facebook, where'd you end up going? Um, I did stuff uh, in Mahoning County, uh, gigs here and there. And um, at this point, I was still like very nervous to go out and do gigs. So I was like very hesitant. I wasn't like going every week like I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. I was going more than once a week. And uh, so I was just very hesitant. And uh, my original plan for like 2019 was to just do one gig per month, which thinking of it now is not a good idea. It's <laughs> yeah, it's very dumb. It's not, not going to help you out. Of, not to make fun of younger you, but it's just not enough. <laughs> yeah, it's not enough. You got to get more stage experience and branch out your jokes more and so forth and try more stuff out like constantly doing it and um yeah i uh i was doing this from like january all the way to may and then june was the second time i did a gig more than once did like did did uh, i believe two in june of last year and then i did three in uh july and then that august was the first time i did like basically seven and then um, after that, I started doing more and more and more each and every week. And I got about like 42 gigs uh, done uh, last year. And right now I'm at 47 done this year and more to come. Wait, 42 and 47? I thought you had... Oh, uh, 47 uh, this year. Oh, uh, 42 last year? Oh. Yeah, 42 last year. But you're at your hundred set. You just did that on Wednesday, right? Yeah, number one hundred was this past Wednesday. So, did you do anything special for your one hundred set, or did you stick with what you had been working on? I just stick what I've been working on. Yeah, I saw you put something about uh, you have trying to get ready for your set for the finals. Yeah, I've been uh, preparing for that for a while, trying to get like some jokes ready so I can at least get in somewhere in the top three. Are these new jokes or? Uh, these are things that you've heard before and there are some few new ones in there, but um, nothing too special. <laughs> Just trying to find the right formula, figure it out. Oh, yeah. it away. So how, how like, 
exclusively have you been doing the funny stuff? Like, are you going there like once a week or I shouldn't say exclusively. That was a dumb way. Like, are you getting there every week? Uh, yeah, I've been doing it mostly every week. And then every once in a while, I'll take a break uh, a week because sometimes I'll just do it like three times or four times in a row each week. And then I'll just take a break and yeah. then I'll continue like doing three or four times in a row and then take a break and so forth. So do you notice like a stark difference between the funny stop and then like a random bar show? Yeah, it's... um. It's very professional uh, at the Funny Stop since it's a club. And, you know, Pete is very uptight and so forth. So he likes things in a certain way. Uh, I always say Pete has the greatest announcer cadence, but not the enunciation. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the he, cadence gets you into it. Like, you feel like you're going to a basketball game. Oh, yeah. He, um, yeah, Pete, uh, He's an interesting guy from my many experiences with him and from what other people have said. Apparently, he used to be a prostitute. Oh. I heard he was, like, ex-Marines or ex, like, whatever, Iraqi Marines, whatever, he, wherever he's from, like, ex-that military force. Oh, uh, Lebanon? Yeah, Lebanon. Yeah, he, yeah him and uh, his brother served in the Lebanese Civil War. Yeah, and they're saying, like, he was ex, like, the special forces there, and I was like, man, if he's lived that life and he's in Kyoga Falls doing comedy? <laughs> and apparently he's killed people or something, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to uncork that bottle. <laughs> yeah, and then I guess, like, I guess, like, when he moved here, you know, like, he started the funny stop, I believe, in 85, um, he moved here, I believe, in 79, and then in that six-year period, I think he probably did some prostituting and <laughs> so forth. Um, from what Gary Campbell said, he, uh, Pete's told him about how good his lovemaking is and so forth. <laughs> I wish I could brag that to people. I'll yeah. never have that confidence. Never. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I've only had sex once, so I can't really brag that much. I, I've done it more than that, but it's not like yeah. I could, it's not like I could look down on you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not. I, I, I'm not out here, like, saying, like, I'm dicking down girls every day. That ain't yeah. But, all right. So, your jokes are very, in my opinion, compared to what my jokes are, much more cerebral. Like they, yeah. they're they take a little more thought. Like I wish I was that type of comedy writer, but I'm not. I'm yeah. more of a just a storyteller and like observational type of guy. Yeah, and the more traditional American uh, comedy. Yeah, it, and it it works for me. I I tell depressing stories from my life. People laugh at them, and I'm cool with it. <laughs> yeah, but. So I saw you post on Facebook about how you have certain inspirations for comics and like how you want to kind of do it. What is your process for coming up with your jokes? I usually, um, I usually try to think of something original because I'm a big fan of originality. And um, I usually think of a punchline first and then I try to find my way to it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do that with funny words. I'll think of a funny word and then I just try to cocoon a joke around it. Like, yeah. find the words to make it funny to other people. 
Oh, yeah, I'm, I often use, uh, because there is like about three uh, theories of comedy, which is uh, superior theory, uh, relief theory, and the uh, incongruity theory, and uh, the latter of which, uh, the incongruity theory, um, I use the most, in which, uh, if you don't know, I'll go ahead there. Just going over those three in just like minute ways, like each of those three. Well, I uh, mostly um, gravitate towards uh, the incongruity theory, in which could, if could you, you def- could you define the three though, like just simply. I'm sure. Um, uh, superior theory is basically like, I believe it's like making fun of others and all that. It, it's more like insult humor is more associated with it. Um, uh, sorry if I sound less educated about this no, subject. I, I'm, ask, I'm only asking because I don't know those three theories. I mean, they pro- they're going to make sense as you say them, but I don't know the words yeah. attached to them. Yeah, so fact-checking these things are very keen for the audience. Yeah, uh, we, have a, we have a very important rule on this Aggressively Average podcast. It is uh, the facts don't matter. What we uh, say is just we're talking. If you want the facts, you look them up separately. <laughs> oh, huh. nice. But um, yeah, the relief theory, um, like self-deprecation, and all that. Oh, I goes would be relief theory. <laughs> and then incongruity theory, which I'm very mostly very familiar with, and something I do a lot. Which incongruity is basically misdirection type of humor. Yeah, misdirection. Uh, expectation, surprise, expectation, surprise, which I often utilize that a lot in my comedy. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So it's nice. You've actually done some reading, I'm guessing, about this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm a big comedy nerd. So I just like to like go through like different styles of comedy and um, just look at the history. Um, I'm like that with a lot of things I like, particularly music as well. I'm a big fan of that. What do you play any instruments or sing or anything? Uh, I can't play for shit, and <laughs> I'm not really a great singer. You just appreciate music. I, I appreciate music. Um, I you know listen to like rock, metal, um, punk, um, rap, uh, electronic, and jazz music. Um, I do want to get into more funk music. That oh, that should be oh. interesting. I really only like Johnny Cash. That's only like really country artists I like. Other than that, I really can't stand country. Oh, I I grew up on country. I love, I love like '90s, early 2000s country. But I I hate I hate when people say like this. People listen on the podcast. This is just me getting deep in like people making me mad over my lifetime. It. I hate when people say like Taylor Swift and like new country now is like, that's not country. It's pop. It's like, if you're going to say that's not country, then you can't say what happened in the 2000s is country because the 1950s country was way different. Oh yeah. Like it just country music now is very shitty. (laughs) I like it, but I like pop music. I like the, I'm the kind of person where the only parts of songs I'll remember is the chorus. Yeah. Because it's just, it goes with the music the best, and like I kind of just zone out on the music, and then the chorus yeah. and the music line up, and everything outside of it, I just kind of fucking blur out. <laughs> I, oh, I, yeah. 
I get lost in music. I legit only hear like the beginning of the song and the end of the song, and like I'll be like, wait, what was in the middle? Yeah, yeah, I uh, I like pop music as well. Um, I mean, there are certain pop music I won't listen to because it's like, oh, this is too mainstream. This is like too Jonas sad. Brothers. You, you yeah, you hate the Jonas Brothers. Yeah, I, I I like you know Michael Jackson, of course. He's like universally anybody will really like him, uh, no matter if you're a metalhead or just mostly listen to rap or so forth. Everybody really appreciates Michael Jackson. Yeah, I mean it's it's even just individually hard to find a bad song. Oh yeah, he's really good um uh, lyricist, vocalist, and a lot of the beats that he has in his songs are pretty catchy and uh, good. Yeah. And I also like Bjork. Uh, she has um, very interesting uh, um, experimental pop style that I like. I, I like weird stuff, so I would gravitate towards that. All right. So I have a question about uh, hosting. You've done it a couple of times, right? done it twice. Yeah. How different is it for you versus doing an actual set? Um, let's just say I prefer to do actual set. Most people do. Uh, 99.9% .9 of people should. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Hosting's a miserable position. As uh, Eric Andre uh, said in a podcast with Mark Marin. <laughs> no, I, I don't actually, like, I get, I get that position, but I actually think it's, it can be useful to, like, kind of, one, build material, because you've got to ad lib yeah. more often. Like oh, yeah. Between people, like you got to be a quick one-liner joke or something quick. Definitely. Or, or even like you find a new way to introduce a, a punchline you already had. Yeah. Cool way to do that. And it also like teaches you to kind of figure out your best material right off the rip because your first beginning set is supposed to get everyone ready for everyone else. Definitely. Not, not supposed to have any lulls. Yeah. Not saying that I've figured out that, like, in practice, but in theory, in my head, I'm like, oh, this this will help with those things. In oh, practice, yeah. I know I'm not the best host. It's hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. At least for me. I'm, I'm socially awkward, so going up there for, like, a sentence and then having to give it off to someone is weird. Oh, yeah. Same with me. I'm not a people person at all, so I... Like, when I did the funny stuff, I only was, like, I only did, like, um, my opening hosting thing for, like, two minutes. That's all I had to say. Like, I just did the announcements and said, like, oh, we have to do five minutes clean material. And I only did, like, two jokes. And then I was just like, oh, well, that's enough for me. This is too awkward to continue. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad I started hosting outside the fun stop. <laughs> Yeah. Like it now I think I could host in it. Yeah. I don't I would not have been okay the first time up there. <laughs> oh yeah, Pete is very hard on you with the uh, hosting. He um the day after I um uh got done hosting, um I went there to, you know, see Jim Florentine and so forth and Pete's like, You did a shitty job hosting <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I did that bad. And he thought I was nervous the whole time. I'm like, I'm not, I wasn't nervous. I was just awkward. Oh, yeah. It's a difference. I had a girl tell me one time, like, hey, I know, like, awkward is kind of like your whole thing up there, but why don't you try, you know, showing more confidence? And I'm like, 
Awkward's not my thing up there. Awkward yeah. Me. <laughs> like, oh, I, can't yeah. just, I can't just change me. Yeah, pretty much. But I, I actually, Pete, my last set at the Funny Stop told me good job, and I was like, oh, oh, thank you. Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think he listened to me. Yeah, he. it does seem like he doesn't listen at times. Uh, well, one thing I should say is that he listens to laughs. He doesn't really listen to what you say. He just listens to laughs. Um, well, that's why even that night, it was uh, the crowd that uh, you even told him when he was heckling you, like, I'm sorry, they just don't want to laugh. Yeah. It was that night, and I didn't feel like I got very many laughs, but I got off, and like I was literally like shaking from the yeah. nerves of fucking, like, I felt like I didn't do great. Like, I didn't feel like I bombed, but I was like, those jokes did not hit like usual. And, like, I was shaking yeah. the nervousness by the end of the set. And so, like, I was putting my over shirt on over top of my tuxedo shirt to get ready to go outside. Yeah. And he was like, good job. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I, didn't, yeah. I couldn't even register it because I was so, like, fucking like in my head of doing bad and then he said good job i'm like yeah. what the fuck are you talking about dude oh yeah though there are there are comics that pete's will like he likes but there's like they're not funny <laughs> they're not th these are not very funny comics i mean they're all right people they're i enjoy being around them but they're not entirely funny see i'm really hoping you're not talking about me but <laughs> uh, oh, you've got some funny jokes don't worry <laughs> That that was almost a little bit better of a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> no, like uh I think anyone can be funny. That's the thing. Everyone, yeah, sure. everyone can be funny, even if you're necessarily not going up there with the best material, like yeah. everyone has the ability to make someone laugh. And, oh yeah. Uh, okay, there's some people who've just been hardened by life that have no sense of humor. But the yeah. general <laughs> The general person walking around this planet can make people laugh. So, like, even if you go up there and have a bad set, doesn't mean you're bad. Yeah. Unless you go up there and you're just a dick to everyone for not laughing. Then you probably yeah. have a bad sense of humor, and you need to fix that. Oh, yeah. Because the comics who go up there and tell people, like, you do it, kind of like, you'll get the joke. Like, yeah. you let them know, like, there was a joke in there. Yeah. There's some people who literally like their joke won't hit, and they're like, "It's okay to laugh. You don't have yeah. to hide it." And it's like, "Dude, no one's hiding a laugh from you." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> if it was funny, they would have laughed. They probably found it offensive. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just very grateful that Pete likes me. Yeah. <laughs> he he likes me. Like I remember. Um, I mean, there's been a few times when she's like, you're funny. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> and um, interestingly, he, he doesn't find uh, Carter Dacatri uh, funny at all, but like um, but like Chris Harvey and a few other, others have told him, like, oh, he's funny, so I guess Pete just trusts them. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he just doesn't like it because uh, Carter, like, sounds like he on purpose delivers the jokes like they're accidental. Yeah. Which, that works for him. That's his style. Yeah. It didn't, I don't know, maybe Pete's like, you need to deliver the joke confidently. It's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> but he delivered. Yeah, like, yeah the thing about Pete is that Pete really likes, um, he, he likes like more traditional jokes. 
He doesn't like any like surreal humor or like Andy Kaufman kind of stuff. Yeah, Which I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of surprised that he likes me because a lot of my stuff can be weird and I consider myself to be more of an alt comic than like more of a traditional comic. So it's like, oh, it's pretty cool that you like my stuff. Yeah. I mean, your stuff's good because there's a couple of things like that you can see coming. Yeah. Once your set gets going. Oh yeah. In the beginning, like when you start with the moth thing, like yeah. at the very beginning, like you set a you set a kind of tone after a few jokes and a few of them, like you get and then but there's every once in a while tossing a joke where it's like, ah, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, the first time that you uh, saw me, which was at Post 32, is that a show uh, Chris Harvey uh, had up. Because mm. uh, you brought your people, and then, you know, Seth Hirschberger brought his people, and there was a bunch of other random people there as well, and then some of them um, um, regulars that come to the bar and all that. I remember at your table just looking over there and like sometimes you guys were laughing, but like most of the time you guys were not just like blank face, but like over at Seth Hirschberger's table and I'm sure uh, and other places like they were getting kick out of my stuff. I'm like, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I ain't gonna lie. I'm, I'm pretty big on not being a guffar. Like I'll look at, I'll, I'll do like, if I think something's funny, I do this. Like I do like a triple head nod. <laughs> Nice. I usually do that. Some like some things do like super super creative jokes really get me. Like, yeah. I, they, it could be dumb as shit. It could be so fucking dumb. But if it's like something that I've never heard before said in a certain way, I'll just fucking die. But generally, I'm just a <laughs> yeah. It's not huge, especially if I haven't been on stage yet. Especially oh, yeah. because I'm only half listening to the set that's happening. Yeah. Like, I could go in super prepared for my set, know everything I'm going to do, but until I've done it, I'm still half thinking about it. Yeah. No way getting around it, and I feel bad sometimes about it, but hey, I know it happens to me. I know I've been on stage and people have been reading their notes, so fuck it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you ever, like, of course you've done shows with, like, Jason and Aaron, and I know that you've done one show with Tim. Uh, like, for them, they'll be, like, sometimes paying attention and sometimes not paying attention because a lot of times are, like, in their head just going over their material. Yeah. And I'm I'm not really like that. Um, I basically just know my material off um, the top of my head. So I don't really need to like constantly go over in my uh, mind and so forth. So I'm like pretty much prepared. But if, like if I'm like want like um like half listening and half not listening, that's usually just my ADHD and and <laughs> depends if if I've already gone up, then you know my mind will start relaxing and I'll be like in a zone basically. Yeah, I I, I dig it. I sometimes don't look at my notes and i just go all right i'd already i'm comfortable with my set i'll figure out the story throughout because i don't i don't write my jokes so much as i know the some of the setup the punchline i want to hit the tags i want to hit after the punchline and all the words in between are kind of ad-libbed yeah like so i'm trying to like figure out the story in between 
not really the no. jokes, but how I'm going to get from each joke. Yeah. Right. Brian, speaking of your ADHD, Brian Gallagher, he told me that, uh, cause, uh, he has, you know, he's hard of hearing. Yeah. So he told me, he's like, you know, sometimes like you talk a little fast, but I think that like adds to your set. And it just kind of seems like it's little jokes in between jokes. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's my ADD just kicking out the comments in my head in between my actual yeah. jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, like, I'll tell a joke and then, like, I'll have a thought pop up and I'll just, I'll just fucking say it. Yeah. And sometimes it works. Like, it's cool. It works. But, like, yeah. it's just 100%. It's like, oh, there was an extra thought in my head. I'll might as well say it. Oh, yeah. And just don't do that the funny stuff too much because if you constantly ad lib, people yell at you. <laughs> well, no, I it's, like I said, I ad lib in between the actual jokes, like whatever. Yeah. Like uh, you've heard my pussycat dolls joke. Yeah, I believe so. With my mom, and then like I ended with cigarettes smell like you. <laughs> and the other day, like just I had the thought, I was like. And I think I can aim higher than the 19-year-old uh, meth head at the trailer park named Tracy. Like, huh. it was like, I, I didn't say it exactly that way, but I was like, that's a, I'm glad I had that thought, because that could turn into a tag after that. Because oh, yeah. if you think about trailer park, it's exactly how I describe my mom in that joke, is trailer park. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. if I, so if I can find a way to turn that into another little bit, like, cool. I'll take that. Oh yeah, it's a it's a benefit of not writing my jokes. the The negative is it takes a while for the jokes to develop, but yeah, but the the benefit is that the joke can always change, even if I oh, have yeah. done because I've allowed myself to just fucking speak words. Definitely, um, yeah, I mostly just um, write my material out. Like if I have a thought, thought, um. I'll just, like, or if I'm trying to, like, think of jokes or I just have a thought, I'll just write things down. And I usually just, you know, like, oh, like, most of my jokes are scripted. Like, how I wrote it down in my notebook is basically how I'm saying it. I mean, there might be a few changes, but that's just how I, you know, tell my material. Yeah, and there's a ton of people that do it that way. I just... yeah. I, I can't do it. There's just, it doesn't work for me that way. I don't know because one, my writing style is different than my speaking style. Yeah. Then my, then my reciting style is way different than my story style. Hmm. Like if I'm reciting something I've read, I speak way differently than telling a story that I've yeah. invested like emotion into. I don't know. And that's that's one of the big things I'm starting to try to add to my sets now is like the emotion, like the the Blake emotion behind the joke, not right. just delivering the joke, but like trying to throw my anxieties into it. Yeah. <laughs> so, do, what do you want to do with comedy? Is stand up where you want to go? Do you want to be in movies? You said something about acting. Like, yeah, I uh, do want to get into acting and writing and all that. I mean, I mean, currently I am going to acting school, a uh, hood school of acting. I do that up in Kent uh, once a week. How, how do you feel like that's working for you? Yeah, I'm 
it's not too bad uh right now um i'm i feel like i'm working uh it's basically uh making me uh better and so forth because i really just want to go into because i reason why i wanted to go into acting school is to basically kind of learn the craft more and i'm very monotone so i kind of want to be a little bit more varied yeah because i don't want to be like a christian steward the, oh yeah god i i always joke that like if you watch panic room and the first twilight they're the same character <laughs> and i get it i get both of them were supposed to be like emotionally traumatized individuals but it's like yeah. you had seven years to get better at your craft and you didn't yeah Though there's, uh, though I watched this one, uh, Watch Mojo video not too long ago, and it was like basically top 20, um, actors that basically redeemed themselves with a role, and, uh, Christian Stewart was on there, and I guess, like, this movie came out in 2014 or something like that, so I forget the name of it, but, um, it basically, it's like, oh, she can act as this movie shows, which I'm sure she can, and I'm sure it does show that movie. No doubt she has the ability to act. And yeah. It's not put on display very well with the role she got. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure that's the same with um, Adam Sandler's uh, comedy chops. I'm sure he can make something great. It just uh, many movies it, it doesn't show. Well, no. Okay. His, his movies have basically, since he's gotten big, just turned into, one, vacations for everyone. Yeah. Too, it's just like I think he gives every one of his uh like friends like creative opportunities. Yeah. Like here, go, pitch me a script, pitch me something, and we'll, yeah. we'll fucking make it. I have the money. I'm gonna do fine. Let's go make it. Let's make a little money off of it. Like anyone could have st- starred in the wrong Missy. Anyone. Yeah. But David Spade did because yeah. he rent. And he probably had first dibs at it or had some help in writing the script. I don't know. I'm not in Hollywood, but Adam Sandler just seems like he's helping his friends make money. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Though uh, of the 2010s, he basically redeemed himself because in early 2010s, um, like Jack and Jill came out and that movie was just trash. Have you seen Jack and Jill? Yeah, I've seen it a few times. It's just trash. I, I mean, it's it's Adam Sandler. I, I got my laughs from it. It may not be the perfect development of characters and script, but there's laughs. And it's enjoy- you watch it multiple times. It's enjoyable enough. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it like, I think twice or maybe three times. Dude, I've seen Emmy award-winning movies half a time. Yeah. <laughs> like... I bet. Anything that I can watch twice was, at the very least, somewhat entertaining. Like, yeah. It just, it's kind of amazing how bad that movie is. It's kind of like The Room. <laughs> Dude, have you, have you seen, um, uh, I think it might have been called Pennywise? And it was about... Uh, uh, I think I've heard of that. girl who got like in a car accident that her car was trapped in between two trees. It is yeah. nothing happens for two hours of the movie. Nothing, but the whole time you're just like something. Something's gonna happen, right? Yeah. Like, 
It is the worst but most suspenseful movie at the same time. It is fucking insane. Interesting. Because it's not good. It's yeah. not good. But you can't stop watching it because you're convinced it's going to get good. Yeah, and, and when I watched um, The Room for the first time earlier this year, I've never seen it before. I knew of it, but I've never seen I, it. I think, I think I've seen it, but what's what's it about? Basically, it's very hard to explain because there's like really like there's Isn't like really people no... standing in a circle. No, um, the movie is uh, it came out like in two thousand three, two thousand four. It's by um, a very weird man by the name of Tommy Wiseau. Um, basically, it's supposed to be a drama, but the writing in it is so bad that it comes off as a comedy. And, um, like, there's literally a scene in there in which he basically goes on the top of his uh, apartment, like, on the roof, and he's like, I did not hit her. I did not. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. Oh, hi, Mark. Basically like that. And it's like, why? And uh, there's a... There's a movie about the making of that movie that came out a few years ago with uh, both of the Franco brothers in it. Oh, the worst movie they ever made or something like that? or Yeah, the Disaster Artist. Yeah, the Disaster Artist, yeah. And a uh, fun fact about that That's scene. That's how I heard about it. That's how it's, it. it's a good movie, the Disaster Artist. It's not that bad. Um, uh, fun fact about that scene, which you can obviously just check it up on YouTube. It's a very famous scene from that movie. Um, that scene, like, took 50 takes to get right, because, like, Tommy Wiseau is that incompetent to get that scene right. He's a very, that man is very weird, and I don't know what planet he is from, but I want to visit it for some reason. <laughs> the, you have no idea. That is such a funny statement coming from a dude who I once heard yell from the stage. It comes from an autistic mind. <laughs> yeah from the crowd yeah like for you to say like don't know where that dude's like what planet that dude's from when fucking andrew holland was like who thinks of raccoon necrophilia yeah <laughs> yeah I, uh yeah fun fact about that joke is that um i was watching this um show please, that please I, you didn't see a raccoon dead body get touched no i didn't see that uh, it just i came up with that um <laughs> oh that's I, that's just me <laughs> yeah i um i was watching this um uh, comedy show uh, that came that was from adult swim uh, ran for two seasons it's called xavier renegade angel and of course if i like it it's not for everyone <laughs> It's um, it's a very weird show. It's How, very comparable to Aquatine Hunger Force. Um, yeah, it's kind of like somewhat in the same vein as that, but it's like just, much just random shit. Well, it's basically like very weird. The show. It's like there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of uh, different types of humor that goes around it, but like the main type of humor that like basically binds it together is like surrealism, uh, dark humor, and satire, which um. Uh, the people that made it are really well known for having those three types of humor in their uh, shows. And um, 
and there's a, a joke uh, with a possum in it, uh, playing dead and all that. I'm like, oh, that was a good joke that they did in there. I'm like, I want to do a possum playing dead joke. <laughs> so I came up with the, you know, the um, playing alive joke first when I wrote it down. And then shortly after that, I just came up with the raccoon necrophiliac one. And um, with the possum and just right there and then. Do you ever like think of a joke and then be like, that fits perfectly inside of this joke? Do you ever think uh, that way or are your jokes all separate type of they're, they're all They're all separate. I mean, there are some jokes that, like the, for example, bo both of the possum jokes, like, like, well, I just put these together because they fit. Mm. Like, yeah, I, 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 I have no sequencing in my jokes at all. It's just, like, joke, 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 joke. I don't like to, I, I've never really been a fan of transitions. It's just how I am. Yeah, I, I wish I could be like that, but I, I, I want to write a novel at some point in my life, so I'm a yeah. storyteller. That's, through and through, that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's why I don't write my jokes down, because I write very, uh, as my friend described, flowery. I use a lot of descriptive words, big, long sentences. So, like, writing comedy and big, long, flowery sentences don't go in hand in hand. They don't work. Oh, yeah. So, I just got so lost in writing <laughs> that I forgot where <laughs> I was going there. But, uh, I, what were we talking about? Where was I going with that before? Basically, um, like with, you want to write a novel and, um, you want everything to connect. You can't just yeah. like randomly yeah. jump into yeah. So like every joke I think of, I automatically think is like, how can I connect it into the yeah. story I've already written? And then sometimes yeah. I have to abandon the story and try to rewrite a whole new story and see how those work. Like, that's just, oh, like, yeah. that's how I work. I can't. When I try to throw a one-liner into a set, like, I'll have my story, and then I'll throw a one-liner in, I completely forget, just like I did a second ago, is like, I forget how to get back to the rest of my jokes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I, I have a Tiger Woods one-liner, or I, it's kind of like a three-liner, how I say it, but I could say it as a one-liner. Like, once I say that, I complete, like, I have no segue into it, and I have no segue out of it. And my set is just, like, lost as soon as I say it. Yeah. Like, I can't, I can't do what you do. Like, I know you like Mitch Hedberg, which is always just the one-line master. Yeah, just, like, yeah, yeah, and also part of that, like, with no transitions with me, you know, that comes from, like, inspirations from, like, uh, Stephen Wright and Mitch Hedberg and Emo Phillips. And that's even, like, Monty Python to a certain way, because if you ever watch, like, Monty Python's Flying Circus, um, I mean, the sketches are all connected, and they're all connected through, like, Harry Gilliam's um, uh, surreal animations. But, like, if you, like, minus that out, they don't really connect the sketches, um... Like, uh, like, the sketches have, like, no punchline that basically ends with it, and basically that was, like, how they decided to write the sketches. Um, they just hated how uh, sketches before, like, would always end with a punchline, and like, well, what if we don't have a, 
sketch end with a punchline, which just like abruptly ends basically. And there, there was a, there was one Monty Python sketch in which it was like that, in which um, like they're at a table and they're like talking, and they're like, ah, oh, this sketch is not working. They just get up and leave. <laughs> That's the sketch. They just get up and leave. Just a meta joke there. Oh yeah. It's have you ever like done a meta like this isn't working and got a big laugh out of it yeah i've done that before uh there's i remember there's this one joke i did in which um it didn't get a laugh at all it may have just got one uh laugh from my one friend in the audience but it didn't get a laugh at all from everybody else i'm like yeah i knew that joke was terrible <laughs> yeah one time i was on stage and i uh I was telling the, the story about how me and my brother rode our bikes at each other, and I decided we were going to play chicken. Oh. And he didn't know we were playing chicken, and I wasn't about to lose. So we ran tire to tire into each other on our bikes and then hit forehead to forehead. And me as a person, I find that funny because, like, what fucking dumbass decides to do that? Like, let's just yeah. play chicken with someone who doesn't know where they're playing chicken. But so I told that story on stage. And like I said, I don't write my jokes. I just go up there with the premise and I start talking. And I got to that point in the story and no one laughed. Like at any point, mm. no one even gave me any semblance that this was funny at all. Yeah. And I just went, well, I forget the punchline to that one, so let's sweep on past it. And like I did this big sweeping motion. And like <laughs> as I did that sweeping motion, like everyone in the audience just fucking died. And I was like, I just saved that joke with nothing other than admitting that joke sucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah I have thought of that. Just like doing doing a joke that like knowing it won't get a laugh. And just saying like, oh, I knew that joke was shitty or something, just to get a laugh out of the audience. Yeah, there's you just gotta find the right way to present it to them that is like, oh yeah, I know that wasn't gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to ask this question of people. Mm. If you were getting paid a decent amount of money, how many minutes could you guarantee you can do that are good? Fifteen, I would say. You've been doing it how long? Uh, three years. Um, long yeah. I said I've done it is seventeen, and and that set is on my YouTube channel. But like most of the jokes in it, I don't do anymore. Like the charity joke you is in it. You shouldn't do too many jokes from when you first started. It's just the evolution of you. Yeah, basically. Like, that was, like, my seventh set, and I wasn't really planning on doing 17 minutes. It was only, it was supposed to be a 10-minute set, but, like, I was, like, I never really did, like, an actual comedy show before, so I was nervous, so I kept, like, ad-libbing, and that was, like, continuing my time yeah. up on stage. So, you said how many minutes? 15 out of three years? Yeah, I probably can do 15. You you don't have too much of an ego on you. There's some people who've been doing it less time than me that think they have 20 minutes, and it's like, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, and in, in this 15 I have, like, not every joke will be, like, a, like a big hit. Uh, like, I have a lot of jokes that versus, like, some people get it, some people are not, and I'm like, well, at least I acknowledge it. 
yeah, someone asked me like how many like how many killer minutes do you have? And I was like, zero. And they're, yeah. like, they're like, what do you mean you have zero killer minutes? Like you can't admit they're good or you're just not good at writing jokes. And I was like, they're not killer minutes because I can't guarantee I can walk into any room and make them laugh at the joke. Yeah. Like that to me, that's a killer joke. Doesn't yeah. matter what room you walk into, you say it, you're gonna get a laugh. Yeah. Like, and sure, I might have the words of a joke. I could have the words down of a joke that can make anyone laugh, but I need to get the inflection. I need to get the the eyes right. I need to get the body movement. Like, I could have the words of a joke absolutely perfect, but like I said before, your jokes are cerebral. Mine, mine is just more kind of commentary, like kind of thing. And a lot of my joke comes from my delivery. How I say it, the energy I yeah. give, give to the words. That's oh, yeah. what makes them funny. It's not necessarily like it's a super smart joke. It's I oh, deliver yeah. it well, and people uh, can associate with the joke. They understand where the, the funny's coming from. Yeah. So, so much to it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Humor is very subjective. Have you, uh, have you ever thought about uh, just going up there with just brand new jokes, never tried before? Uh, in the first time. In the beginning, I did that. Not anymore, just from a fear of just bombing, just like everything fails. And I'm like, oh, I'm terrible and all that. <laughs> I don't know. I tried it. I tried it that one weekend at the Funny Stop, and they all got laughs. I wouldn't say any of them got big laughs. But like, yeah, I, I do recall that, like, uh, you were getting laughs uh, here and there throughout that set. So there were uh, some stuff in there that's a keeper. Yeah, I mean, not even, I may completely change how it's delivered. Like, the words may not even come close, but, yeah. like, it, it was all, like, fresh and all got laughs. And even since then all this set since then people have told me like there's just you have a different energy like you know, like your jokes are better blah 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 and I'm like, i think every time i try something new and it works like it gives me that like confidence that makes you better yeah like you, you're no better you're no better but you just deliver it with more confidence because you, you tried something and it worked yeah so like I, I'm not trying to make you try brand new, like, five minutes, but, like... Oh, I know. It's it's something, like, I don't know. I think it's a cool thing to try every once in a while. Like, yeah, just go up there with some brand new shit. Because, uh... Yeah. What was the really, really big comic? Ralphie May. Ah, uh, yeah. He said something about, like, you know, just go up there with a new ten minutes. Or new five minutes. And people are like, what? He's like, have you done that since your first set? And, like, even pros are like, no. I've never yeah. done it. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's, try something. Yeah. So, I don't know. I tried it and I think it's actually really helped me. So I'm going to, every once in a while, I'm going to try just a brand new set of just all new fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, what time is it? 7.17. Yeah, some more time. Yeah. Is there a, Anything you wanted to talk about specifically? Hmm. About comedy, anything? Do you play video games at all? I do. Um, 
Currently, I've been um, playing uh, the campaign, uh, second time playing the campaign for Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah. I've never played that, but I've seen my cousin play a lot of it. It's really good. It's a... it's really one of the best uh, games that Rockstar uh, games have released. I mean, uh, the first Red Dead Redemption game, uh, that's pretty good as well. I mean, I've never played it, but uh, years ago I watched a rock walkthrough of it, and it's fairly good. Um, so you've played the first one, just the second one? Uh, yeah, I just played the second one. Though if though the second one is technically the third one, um, <laughs> there's a Red Dead game that... Like, the first Red Dead game is Red Dead Revolver, oh, yeah. and that's forgettable, forgettable for many people because it's not entirely good. Aw, oh, dude, I, my cousin loved that game. You better watch your goddamn mouth. <laughs> Listen, just because you were young when it came out and you dealt with much better games with much better graphics doesn't mean it wasn't a good game for its time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, um... Some games I'm uh, looking forward towards uh, this year is, um, I mean, this series now is basically 50-50 with me. Like, sometimes, like, if I want to, I'll buy a new game for it, but I'll mostly just play the campaign because I usually enjoy the campaigns for this series. Is uh, the new Call of Duty game, uh, Call of Duty uh, Cold War. Um, since the campaign for that is basically a direct sequel to the Black Ops campaign, I'm like, oh, I want to see what Mason the gang, gang, gang are up to. Did you buy Warzone? Uh, nah, I'm, I I'm not really big on... I mean, I'll play online stuff. Um, I mean, I'll just play against bots, so I'm boring like that. No, you don't but, play people uh, online? Nah, just, I don't know. I've never really been a big online player for things. Dude, I played so much Fortnite online, but, like, I was so bad. God, <laughs> I, I only did, like, training for, like, two months. Like, just straight grinded in, like, uh, yeah. these extra modes they put in just so you could practice training to get better at the game. Yeah. And then I got so used not talking to anyone while practicing all my shit. I would drop into games of squads and then I would mute everyone and then just walk around and not say words. And I was like, why am I playing online with people if I'm not talking to anyone? Yeah. Like, I, don't, I wanted to play with people because I hated the silence of playing alone. Yeah. But then I started muting everyone and I was playing in teams alone. I'm like, but you just don't want to play this game, Blake. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, besides uh, that new Call of Duty I'm planning on getting, uh, I do want to get uh, Alien Isolation, which came out a few years ago. That came out, I believe, that, in like Alien, as in like the movie franchise. Yeah, it, um, yeah, that game is basically part of the Alien franchise. It takes place 15 years after the very first Alien movie, and it basically follows uh, Ripley's daughter who is basically trying to find her mother and uh, so forth. And if you're Wait, familiar sure with that, well yeah, <laughs> yeah, she, she didn't basically get out of that part until like hundred something years after <laughs> like, yeah, it's like a hundred something years, I believe between um, like the first alien movie and the aliens, it's like 200 or 300 something years. All I can remember is I watched that movie I, I, I had been like a preteen, like teenager, 
And I watched that movie and like had such a huge crush on Aliens, like the second one. Uh, I had such a huge crush on the little girl from it. Like yeah. I had a random thought when I was like 18. I'm like, huh, I wonder if she's still famous. And I Googled yeah. her. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I have, there's two childhood girls that I had crushes on that I'll never forget. The girl from Aliens too. Mm. And did you ever see the Santa Claus movie with, uh, Tim Allen. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen all three of them, but I have. In the first movie, there's like this little elf girl that I just thought was gorgeous. And I was just like, even to this day, I'm like, they're just the the cutest little girls ever. And now it's creepy because I'm 30. But back when I had the crush originally, it was just like so innocent. I just jack off to older photos of them. Well, why do you think I tried to look her, look up Aliens 2, Chick? Like, what does she look like now? Yeah. <laughs> and all I could She's find like... was she did, like, one interview as an adult, and there was only, like, a 30-second clip, and she was just... She literally... That was the only movie she acted in. Oh. was Aliens 2. I did my research. Found nothing. Uh, well, that... Hollywood is very tough for young children. Yeah, there's something about, you know, money... And drugs. And yeah. Irresponsible parents. Pedophilia. Hey, hey, that doesn't exist in Hollywood. <laughs> That's, by the way, anyone who listens to this podcast, I do not believe that statement. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely exists because Hollywood is creepy. Yeah. It's run by a lot of rich people, a lot of rich men. Uh, including Harvey, well, he used to be Harvey Weinstein, but, you know, he was there for a while and did many wrong things. <laughs> yeah, at one point on our podcast, it got brought up, like, do you believe conspiracy theories? And mm. my my answer was, how can you not believe government conspiracy theories when there's been so many things that they've been proven to lie about? Like, mm. once you find one lie anyone else is possible especially yeah. especially when you consider me me and you on an individual level if you were lying to protect yourself you're gonna lie like yeah. if, that, if that's what you needed to do you would do it so, yeah so to think a bunch of people wouldn't do it is dumb <laughs> yeah i mean there's conspiracy theories that have been proven to be uh correct like uh, the gulf of token incident that's like the North Vietnamese never uh, fired any missiles on our one ship. They never did. Uh, that's proven to be correct. Uh, our government basically just lied in order to go into Vietnam. And then, you know, uh, what happened back in 2013 with the whole NSA thing, uh, Edward oh, Snowden wow. basically leaked that, yeah, the NSA, uh, the government, is basically spy on its citizens. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I actually was listening to Joe Rogan today where he had a guy, his, like, the journalist who like leaked everything for Edward Snowden and he was talking about that and like how even this like courts have deemed afterwards like yeah yeah what they did was illegal but Edward Snowden still needs to go to jail (laughs) it's like what (laughs) he's an American hero he's more of of an American hero than that um uh, what the American sniper dude, uh, Chris Kyle. Oh, <laughs> that's a hot take. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, there's a meme of that, and I basically completely agree with it because, you know, the Iraq war is pointless. Yeah, uh, I, 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 he still went there under orders. <laughs> yes. He had no choice. He still went there, and he did what he was supposed to. Even though he lied about some of the things. Okay, I don't know about that, but... Yeah, yeah, if you uh, look into more of it, he's not entirely a good person. Um, Can you he, uh, give me one second? I'm going to run to the restroom, then we'll talk, continue on this, okay? All right, that's fine. Yeah, one second. I'm so sorry. It's completely fine. Pick back up with uh, what did he lie about. By yeah, the way, he uh, lied about um, his... Uh, Facts don't matter. If what Vaughn says isn't true, I'll check it out later. Everyone listening, check it out. But if it is true, this is going to blow my mind. Go on. And he uh, lied about uh, some of his accomplishments. And um, he's also a proven racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like during um, the Hurricane Katrina um, thing that happened, um, he basically... Um, stated in his book that he's like, oh, I went down there and shot a bunch of looters, which is proven to be inaccurate. He never did that. Yeah, that's a weird thing to, like, gloat about, though. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, huh, you might, you might not like black people. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things white people say you could say that exact statement after. Like, Huh. You may not like black people. Yeah. Hey. Right. Um, yeah, just because somebody's a war veteran doesn't mean that they're uh, a good person or that uh, they're trustworthy and everything well, they say is correct. Th this is going to sound very badly about any war veterans, but this is my take on the military they have to break you down and manipulate your mind for you to do the things that they want. Like it's all brainwashing for a good soldier yeah. has been brainwashed. Yeah. That may, about that. that may sound wrong to someone who's been in the military, but like, I'm sorry. They physically exhaust you and give you mantras that you have to listen to day in and day out until you follow their way. That sounds like brainwashing yeah. to me. <laughs> it's it's just like yeah, um, what? Yeah, I'm like yeah. A lot, a lot of people, um, a lot of um, good people have been exploited by governments in order to like fight in pointless wars and so forth. Like you know the Vietnam War, for example, we should never have been there. <laughs> Uh, the Iraq War, for example, we should have never been there. Um, even though Chris Kyle is not a good, really a good person, he was indeed exploited by the government to fight in a pointless war that we had no business and going there and so forth, and really didn't cause it. didn't really cause a lot of good going to Iraq, going to Iraq because you know they have a big problem over there with the civil war and mm -hmm. fighting against ISIS and so forth. Yeah, it's it's like if we go back to conspiracy theories, those aren't conspiracy theories, but it's reasons not to trust. <laughs> like they're not. Yeah, 
not good. I mean, some people would think that. I mean, some people would think that the military-industrial complex is a conspiracy theory, but it's like, no, it's real. Yeah. Uh, there's 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 companies that you know make weapons and all that, and you know they manipulate our government and our foreign policy in order to sell these weapons. Well, I mean, just just the fact that this statement is true. War, yeah. war breeds technology. Yeah. And okay, so war, war makes money. Money yeah. makes innovation. Innovation makes technology. Like, yeah. It's it's not a good system. It's not a great yeah. way to look at things, but it's it's how our government looks at shit. Yeah. Like, if you can create conflict, you create money. You create money. You yeah. create innovation. You create innovation. You create technology. That everyone use. It's like you said, the industrial complex is a real thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower warned us about it before he left office. Um, I think JFK also warned about something similar before he was killed. I, I can't remember exactly. He warned about something like in the government that is coming true today. I, mm. I only know from podcasts. I, I can't, I'm not even going to try to venture what he said or anything. Like, I can't remember the exact words, but yeah. JFK, before he was assassinated, kind of like was basically predicting the kind of problems we're having today. Yeah. And it's, it's what they always say. Like, if you're a student of history, it's easy to predict the future. Like, it's not, yeah. if you know what's happened before, you can see like, oh, this is happening. This is what's going to happen. Yeah, and I I kind of find it weird because I'm not a conspiracy guy guy at all. Um, and I don't know if anybody's thinking like, oh, that's Vaughn. He sounds like a conspiracy guy. I'm I'm not a conspiracy guy at all. Um, I'm a, a good natured center left liberal. Um, I I just don't really trust uh, certain people and so forth like i i I, I do kind of find it weird that there's a lot of conspiracy theor uh theorists out there that are like big trump trump supporters and it's like wait you're you're a type of people that goes against like governments and corporations but you're supporting a billionaire a billionaire think about this Dude. this goes against all your basically standard conspiracy theory beliefs i, I don't think you consider he can only get to the presidency using money. Yeah, basically. <laughs> he he self-funded himself, which, you know, I don't really think billionaires should be or should be able allowed to become presidents. No, um, I, I, I think there's a whole lot of problems with even the fact that to get in a debate, you have to have enough money backing you to get into a debate. Yeah. Like I think I I understand the reasoning. But I think yeah. fundamentally, that's like a bad reasoning. It's like yeah. thing, you have to have enough people willing to put money behind you to even have a platform. Like, what? what why have we lost the the platform? Should be the most important thing, not the yeah. money that raises you to the point where you can speak about the platform. Oh yeah, like, yeah, I, like. Like, I wouldn't be surprised in the future that Elon Musk would run for president. And then the world... Donald J. Trump has opened the door for everyone. Yes, basically. Like, back in the day, there there was 
Donald Trumps before Donald Trump that we yeah. don't even know about. Like, yeah. presidents that weren't politicians that got the door, but like now we've gotten to the point where we can disseminate all this information and it can be like, oh, you don't have to be a career politician. You don't yeah. have to be a Clinton. You don't have to be a Bush. You can be yeah. a Trump. You can be a first timer. And yeah. that's going to open up the door, I, I hope, towards more first timers. And the more first timers you get, the more good hearted first timers you're going to get. Like, yeah. People who want to do the right, not just be political, not make money. Like, yeah. I have a very idealistic point of view on politics. Yeah. So hopefully, all these doors are breaking down, aren't for the negative, for the, they're for the positive. Yeah. And in the words of my uh, friend Josh about Elon Musk running for president in the future, I would rather vote for a rock than Elon Musk. <laughs> Which, yeah, I don't, I don't want to vote for Elon Musk. I, I don't think Elon Musk would be a good president. But yeah. I, I think he would be like a good head of the department. Hmm. If you could like put him in the department of, uh, you know what? Foreign affairs. Put him in uh, charge of foreign affairs. <laughs> I think he would do a good job. I think he would figure out a way. Be like, well, we can give you toxic free water for defense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he could find that would be where he wouldn't be good as like the king of things. Yeah. But like the king of like how can we make people do better? He would he would yeah. excel at that. I won't be surprised. I mean, my friend Josh has doubts about it because he doesn't think he'll basically uh, bring enough money to help uh, produce his campaign further. But I want to doubt that in the future we would actually have a presence, Kanye West. Yeah. Just I, I have my doubts with like Americans and Americans making the right decisions ever since Trump got elected. I, I just see a gradual decline of anti-intellectualism in this country. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying you're pro-Kanye West or Nick? No, I am not. Uh, I, I'm just saying that um, I, I can actually see a um, president Kanye West in the future. Just, just the way everything's headed and people are just becoming dumber, it seems. I will say this. Listening to Kanye West on Joe Rogan's podcast made me never want to vote for him for president. But he has the point of view of someone who could be president. Yes. Yeah, I, everything he was saying was, like I say, I have an idealistic point of view. He was yeah. saying, like, give me the information. I'm not going to tell you what I have to say now. What I'm going to say is, give me the information. I'll make the right decision. Yeah. And that's the that's a great point of view to have for a president. Yeah. The only problem is he doesn't have the baseline knowledge of the issues to be able to debate like this is where I stand now, but give me information and I might change to this. Yeah, I I I mean I did see clips of uh, like little itty bitty things of him on Joe Rogan and he came off as like reasonable and just he, he, rational and all that he has very good ideas that are underdeveloped mm. which 
you could say that would make him a good president because like he said once i get all the information i can make the right decision but it's like it's hard to elect someone when your ideas are undeveloped yeah i mean i i, I mean if he did run for president i wouldn't vote for him because you know he's known to have mental outbursts and all that and just there's been very loony things he's said so i'm like uh eh, that doesn't really Joe Rogan and him tried to cover those really well, like mm -hmm. those outbursts, and I tried to explain them, and I don't think he did a very good job mm -hmm. of explaining them, but he did a good enough job to be like, I was coherent. Like, what mm -hmm. you heard wasn't the best, but I was coherent. Yeah. So it's like, I, I see both sides, like, yeah. You get the media, he broke down, he was shitty. But then you hear him talk about those situations and you're like, all right, maybe we just heard the wrong way. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, And I, I still lean towards he's kind of crazy. Yeah, I do as <laughs> even, well. <laughs> even after listening to it, I still lean that way. But it's like, I, I, I can see where you can try to say, like, people just understood me the wrong way. Hmm. Which, hey, very presidential of him to have so many fucking public breakdowns and still come off looking like not too bad. <laughs> like, I, I don't think there would be any scandals with him once he got into the White House. Yeah, might be. I just, just like, much like with Trump, uh, like there's like an itty bitty part of me it's like let's go for it let's just see what happens <laughs> i mean if i ask is that how you voted last time no i i i, I mean there's an itty bitty part of me that like kind of like let's see what happens but no i voted for hillary the last time and i'll be voting for uh biden this year yeah i i um i feel like an asshole for asking that because i don't vote <laughs> it's fine. Like I, I shouldn't have put you on the, the the podium where you should answer because I don't vote, and it's because I don't feel I have enough information. To yeah, vote. that's like, fair. People have told me like, "Oh no, you you know how to talk politics." Is like, no, no, I know how to talk the idea of politics. Mm. I don't know what it takes to fucking make a bill happen. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know anything. So it's like. Trump may have passed the greatest bills in the world. I personally don't appreciate that he lies all the time. Yeah, that's... That doesn't make him correct. a bad president. He may be lying all the time, but if his policies and everything he's passing are good, which, from what I've heard, they're not, but I don't know. <laughs> but the fact that I don't know means I can't vote. Like, I, I, I'm not sure of what... I know, so I can't just fucking be like, yep, I won Biden. I won Trump. Maybe I won Joe Jorgensen. <laughs> Have you maybe, ever... maybe you maybe you want these nuts. Oh I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna say, uh, are you cool with uh taking about like a half hour break here and then cutting back through? Sure. That's fine. Awesome. Um once once I invite you back, we're gonna be with the whole crew. So All right. 
give me a second here and then I'm gonna give you a proper like outro. Okay. All right, Vaughn, uh, it was really nice talking to you. Uh, I'm going to enjoy going back through this because we talked about a bunch of shit that yeah. I'm talking about. But uh, do you want to promote any shows that are coming up? Uh, next week I'll be at the Funny Stop Comedy Club. That's like the only show that I'll be uh, week, doing. What, what's the date? Do you know? Um, ten, uh, 11... Um, the fifth, uh, sorry, uh, the four, November fourth, twenty twenty. Eleven four, twenty twenty. Are you just appearing there? You're not hosting, right? I'm not hosting. I'm just performing. All right. If you guys want to check him out there, go ahead. Um, I suggest you do. He is a very funny comic. But uh, everyone have a great night. Bye.